And we'll begin with prayer. Father, we do thank you for the time that we can spend together. I thank you for each one who has applied themselves to study, Father. And I thank you that your word is sufficient. Lord, as we discuss your word, uh, help us put aside the things that we say and the things that we think. And help us to see instead what you intend for us to see. I ask that you bless each one. And I ask the Father that you reveal your love to us through your word. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is from uh, Shacharit. You will note as the Hafta. Does anybody know the tune? I'll, uh, I'll simply say it in English. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. Let these matters that I command you today be upon your heart. Teach them thoroughly to your children and speak of them while you sit in your home, while you walk on the way, when you retire, and when you arise. Bind them as a sign upon your arm and let them be tefillin between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Um, and that's from, the, uh, as you know, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and on. And also it's found in the Shacharit. Uh, and see, it's also found in Bedtime Shema. It's found lots of places in the Siddur. Um, we're looking at Lesson 3. Uh, it's not what you think, it's what you do. And uh, this is the, the word that we are focusing on today, and it had been focusing on this week in our study, is the word love. And this is from Genesis 22.1. Now it came to pass, this is the first usage of the word love, ahav. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Anybody know what that is in Hebrew? Hineni. Thank you very much. What does Hineni mean? Well, that's a word we should have done. Yeah. Hineni. Here I am. Here, here I am or here am I, which means speak and I will obey. Uh, then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and that is Ahav, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac and his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Genesis 22, 1-5. As we discussed previously, this is the, what's called the Akedah, which is the the binding Akedah means binding the binding of Isaac uh, interesting it is, is in Judaism it is referred to as the binding of Isaac and uh, most English Bibles has a heading usually says the offering or the sacrifice of Isaac um, it was the binding of Isaac is the, is the, is the significance here uh, it does relate also to the binding of the tefillin uh, because it, it is said that it was bound t- tight enough so that the marks of the binding were visible after he was released the marks of the binding were visible and this is from Hebrews chapter 11. We get further insight. Uh, this is further insight uh, offered to us. Uh, traditional insight that has now become scripture. Listen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who is, had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That's the English translation. Figurative sense, it actually is the word that we get in English, parable. Received in a parable, a legend, or a tradition, as it were. Here we find a traditional understanding of what happened. We are given insight into Abraham. The reason he offered up Isaac is because God could raise him from the dead. That's pretty profound. Actually, that is is really profound. 
Sometimes traditions are correct, sometimes they're not. But the point is, this one was. Excuse me. Well, the faith was explicit there because the promise was to, to Isaac, not to anything else. That's right. That's why he says, okay, in the beginning of that, when you were reading it, when he says it's only his only son, it's Yahid. That's right. The only one. So mean unique. Yeah, unique. That's right. Yeah, he was. He knew. He knew. He was the one. Had to be the one. Exactly. So God had to raise him from the dead. The point being here, though, that his faith was founded upon the fact that God would raise him from the dead. That he really would offer him up. It wasn't just. You know, we hear this a lot. Well, boy, it really didn't happen. And the reason why the writer of Hebrews is making this point is, it's as if it happened, and maybe it did. Maybe he really did. In fact, that's the tradition. The tradition is he actually did die, but was immediately raised from the dead. Whether that happened or not is not significant, but the point is that this is drawing on that tradition. It's an interesting thing that the writer says the reason, what motivated him, what gave him the faith, was in fact the idea that God would raise him from the dead. That he could, that he could, he could do what God said because God would complete whatever he said he would do. It was the ultimate test. This is the tenth test that Abraham went through. And it was a, it was a really good test. It worked good. But the reason that it worked good was because Ahav. Because he loved God. And because he loved Isaac. The test was successful. Uh, that's right. That's true. Uh, in lesson one, we saw that we were able to, uh, that that we were we, we looked that we were able to, that we were supposed to fear God. We learned that if yare is not an emotion, something we choose to do, uh, and we will either fear men or we will fear God. One of the two. Um, in lesson two, we saw shema, which is to hear and obey. That shema is something we choose to do. We saw that if we do not hear God or obey God we will obey someone else. Kind of working that way all the way through. We're going to see that today. If you don't love God, you love something or someone else. Most likely yourself. Um, in all of these things, the choice is yours. You choose to do it. Okay? Let's look at love. It's spelled Aleph, Hey, Bait. And I've written up on the board here. Reading from right to left. The Aleph. Uh, modern, or the Assyrian script looks like... Uh, um, block script looks more like an a uh, looks like a, an X, right? Similar to an X. Uh, the hay looks like a tent with a window open up towards it, and the bait uh, looks kind of like a uh, I don't know, kind of like a backwards C. Actually, it's not a C. It has a square bottom. But as you look at that, uh, you can't necessarily see it, but the Aleph in ancient in ancient script Paleo uh, script actually ha- is the shape of an ox head. The hay is looks more like a man with his hands outstretched like this, saying, Behold, wow, check it out. And the bait is actually a tent. It's, it's, it's a house, which is that, that's what it is. Bait is house in Hebrew. So it's a tent. And actually, when you look at these words together, uh, look at these letters together, these pictures, you read from right to left, God reveals, or behold, see, not see, because see is a different word, but uh, God reveals the house or the family or the tent and in this case the family is always the son so we see that God's God love is God is revealed in the son it's great nice nice way to remember it yeah there's many different ways we say pictographic reading of Hebrew words is not always uh, a science uh, but it certainly helps us to remember this word love um it is almost, Ahab is almost, is often used in conjunction with Yare, fear, as Yeshua himself used in John when he discussed, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments, right? The idea of fearing God. To Shema, it's also used with Shema, means to hear and obey. And with Shemar, which is to keep, which is a word we're going to look at later. Shemar, which is to keep or to treasure. So you keep the commandments. Do you keep the commandments? So people ask that in English. Do you keep the Ten Commandments? What's that word keep mean? Keep almost seems like, well, it's like, yeah, I'm rigid. Yeah, man, I'm rigid. I'll keep it. Now, keep means to, well, observe is another word. Observe it. Well, observe is a very passive word in English, isn't it? You look at it from afar. Oh, I observe them. I describe myself as observant, you know, but it's really a bad way to describe yourself in English when you think about it. Because it means I look at it, right? To keep, to shamar, means you treasure it. Guard it. Guard it. As if it's precious. As if, look, I put it in a safe so nobody can break in. That's the idea. So love is found with these other words. Oftentimes found with these other words. And when you think about it, that is the antithesis of the English word love. Keeping? Oh, no, no, no. Everything's free. Right? You know, free love. Uh, how about How about obeying? Oh no, that's the opposite of love. Like that's a, obey so harsh. Love is just so gentle and kind. And and uh, we see yare fear fear and love. Perfect love casts out fear. That's exactly what it says in the scriptures, right? You see what we what we've come to do is we found the scriptures that fit really good with our nice little feeling of love. That is so that it's so uh, that requires so little of us. It's innocuous. Innocuous, yes. It's just a good feeling. Right? Love's a good feeling. That's, and we found those verses, we found those passages, those nice little axioms that we get from other religions and pull them somehow into ours. Uh, and unfortunately, it is not at all like the biblical use of the word love. And I hope that if you did your homework, you discovered that this word love is, is, is a dangerous word as well. Um, it is, uh, as we talked about, the first mention is Genesis 22.2, and it's highly ironic that the test of love for God is to love a son the way that God commanded. Because, as we see in John 3, that's exactly what he did. In offering up his son, uh, we see love expressed. So we, we, this, is, this is an interesting... And that's why the Akedah is so wonderful. It's wonderful no matter how you look at it. This is the whole test of Abraham offering up his son as a test of his love of God and a test of his love of Isaac is wonderful. But one thing that's lost a lot of times when people read this passage, it's not lost in Judaism because we talk about it all the time, is the love of Isaac, Isaac's faith. And Isaac's love, remember he's not a little boy as he's pictured in all the flannel graphs. Anybody know what flannel graph is? Okay. Maybe I'm too old, I don't know. I'm glad there's people that know flannel graph, otherwise I'd really be in trouble. Uh, he's not a little boy. He's a man. He's probably 32 to 37. He's old. You know, he's probably a whole lot tougher than his dad. And uh, he gave himself willingly. He had to. Find me. Find me, Father, as the tradition says. Find me. Tie it tight. And, and uh, so the binding of Isaac is actually a, a great representation of not only Abraham's love for God and for his son, but also, also Isaac's love. By the way, it's love for his father, his son also, because in that he bound him was a recognition and offered him was a recognition. In fact, that that was the only way that God was going to bless the son as well. The only way the inheritance was going was through Isaac. And if Abraham, God forbid, disobeyed God, the blessing would not have been found there. Think about it. Isaac had the blessing passed on to him 
precisely because his father loved him so much that he offered him. Don't you find it interesting, though, that Isaac was not the man his father was and neither his son Jacob? I know, it's very difficult. Isaac is a tough one, and actually we're going to look at that because it talks about things that Isaac loved here, too. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 27, 1, and we're going to look first at misplaced love. The love that's not necessarily good to contrast it against the Akedah, the offering of the binding of Isaac. Genesis 27.1 which says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes, this is, this is many years later, his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered and said, Here am I. There you go. Hey, Nanny. Here am I. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapon, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, and bring, uh, and to bring it. Uh, so here we see that Isaac loved something. He loved savory meat. What's the outcome of that love? Well, first of all, it is true he was deceived by his wife and by his youngest son. But what was the ultimate outcome? I mean, he, he had, the ultimate outcome, of course, is everything turns out, the right person gets blessed or whatever else. But what's the process? The process is, first of all, we have enmity between Jacob and Esau because of this, Right? Uh, certainly there were lies and deceit being told he set people up uh, in, in modern language I guess he was an enabler in that right why so he loved oh boy just give me some of that stew man that's good stuff I love that stuff do you ever talk about that when you oh man do you like do you like Mexican food I love Mexican food think about that that's pretty amazing when you think about it talk about loving food I love that yeah. You like football? I love football. Right? <laughs> okay, Judges chapter 16. Misplaced love. Judges chapter 16, verse 4. It's easy when the words are always used in a positive sense. I think scripture is very easy then. Let me just think about all these positive things. The fact that love is, word, is used incorrectly in English is not unique to English. It's using it's using correctly in Hebrew as well. The Bible gives us many instances where the word ahav is used wrongly, misapplied, misplaced love. Judges chapter sixteen verse four says afterward. This is talking about Samson. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Samson and Delilah. Samson loved Delilah. Misplaced love. Why was that misplaced? Two reasons. Give me the first reason. She was a pagan. Actually, even more importantly, and as importantly, I should say, his parents disapproved. <laughs> Listen to your parents. His parents disapproved. That's your first clue. If you think that you can love someone and your parents disapprove, you are sadly mistaken pardon me he broke his house absolutely absolutely I mean he's a, he's a Nazarite 
As a Nazarite, there were a whole lot of things he more. He just went all over the place. I mean, we have Samson is a perfect example of everything that you could do wrong except one thing. You know, in the very end, he was right. <laughs> Up until that point, everything, every choice, he took the wrong choice. You know, here's a why in the road. Do what my parents say or follow Delilah. He goes for Delilah. Actually, even before that. Yeah, the honey in a, in a, in a carcass. That's right. Good. Very good. Uh, let's keep moving. First uh, Kings chapter 11. First Kings. Depends on whether you have a kumash or not where it's found. All right. But if you have a kumash, you know that already. First Kings chapter 11. Verse 1 says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. Uh, go to uh, Micah chapter 3. What was the outburst? Before we go there, actually, here it was. King seven, Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, 14. You don't need to look it up, but that was where he was told not to multiply for himself foreign wives and what did he do? We loved them. It's okay. I hope they won't lead me astray. What did they do? They let him astray. Uh, go to Micah chapter 3, verse 2. I, I know I did, but I was just saying that was the, that was the cross-reference I was looking for. Micah chapter 3. Verse 2 says, You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people, hate good, love evil. Is that not a description of our society? Even ourselves. Hate good, love evil. Let me give you an example of hating good. Okay? Think of something, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but I want you to think of something that God, keep it to yourself, think of something that God has said in his word, that he has commanded, that you consider, that you consider to be just too much, too close to legalism. Think about it. You may not be able to, and I won't say anything. Think about it. You hate good. Every word, every command that the Almighty God has spoken with His mouth, especially through His servant Moses, and especially through His servant Yeshua, is good, for our good, and should never be considered legalistic. Every word is good. That's exactly what Paul says when he says to Timothy that it is profitable. Every word is profitable for doctrine, correction, for righteousness. See, we like to play this game with righteousness. It's imputed to me. Yeshua is my righteousness, we say, and he is. It's perfect righteousness. And yet we're commanded again and again to live righteous lives. To, to live like we've been said that we are right and yet we want to we want to draw the curtain to that and say no no I don't know that sounds too much like legalism and we need to understand legalism the definition of legalism 
in every one of our minds is something that someone else's application from me. I'm never legalistic. It's always other people that are legalistic. We, we, we can condone anything for ourselves. If you were legalistic, as people describe, I promise, if you were consistent in your legalism, consistent in your legalism, you would live a life that was more pleasing to God. And you would experience His blessing because of it. I'm not encouraging you to be legalistic. But you need to understand, it's a misused word. It just is. Everything that He says is for our good. And even if you do it with the wrong attitude, your attitude will change. Because there's a blessing in obedience. Why? If you love me, you'll obey me. And I believe that if you obey him, you'll love him more. There's a connection. I believe there's a connection. So, loving e- good, or loving evil and hating good is something that we are all guilty of. All of us. You can look at somebody else whose standards are a little bit higher than yours, and you can immediately say, well, I'm glad I'm not bound up that way if that standard is a godly standard maybe it's more than you maybe they're overdoing it I don't know maybe they're overdoing it but the point is if they love good so much that it's so important to them to do it in that way then certainly you shouldn't say that's bad even if you won't necessarily agree with it you shouldn't say it's bad you should say that's good I really admire that did the concept legalism come out of the old scripture? No. And that, it's, it's, a, it's a very common... It's a, in, in using Christianity, it's a very, very common. People, The minute people start approaching the Old Testament in a, with a sense of obedience, people go, well, that's just being legalistic. Remember, we're saved by grace. Why would people have to caution you that? Since when do you have to tell people, by the way, don't obey God too much? I want you to hear that. That's exactly what people are saying when they say, don't, 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 don't consider obeying God too much. Wow, you'll be bombed up. Since when could obeying the Almighty be considered bad? That's what we're doing. That's what Micah 3.2 is saying. That's exactly what we're doing. We are saying that the Almighty's word could somehow be used incorrectly. Not that it couldn't, but the point is, why would we caution people about that? Caution them more than, by the way, you need to dress more modestly? Or, or by the way, flee evil. Don't even have the appearance of evil. I mean, we don't push that. Why don't we push? Why do we push? Oh no, don't step too close to obeying God. You might, you know, God forbid, be legalistic. But, but that concept came in with the interpretation of the covenant. You what? What? Where that concept came in? Uh, I'm just. I'll be frank. Where that concept came in was in the second century when they said, "There's Jews and there's Gentiles." Jews do these certain things that we don't really like because they identify them as Jews. Let's not do those anymore. Let's say that we don't have to do those anymore. We'll still have to do all the moral stuff, but those things we won't do. Plus they were it was it, it, it was it was an attempt, again, this is my opinion, it was an attempt by the predominant Gentile uh, group to overcome the Jewish group. Yeah, absolutely. The Jewish I mean, I mean, I was thinking of the concept of God's law and the God's mercy. Yeah. 
That's right. That's right. Where does that come from? It's the second century. Justin Martyr is one of the first ones to write it. Justin Martyr, would have, which have been about one, 105 to one, 115 of the Common Era, he's the first one to come up with this God of mercy, the God of love. And by the way, God punished the Jewish people by giving them the Shabbat. That's what he said. That he is a founding father of the whole... Uh, Antinician church fathers that gave us the anti-Semitism that resides in the theologies of many of our brothers and sisters today. He is a founding father in his explanations. He is the founding father of replacement theology. At least the only one we have written. He's the first one that wrote about it. Yeah, and it all comes from the same idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, others deny it and yet they teach it. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. And everybody has to be careful now because it's not popular. <laughs> There's something simple you can say if someone brings up the word legalism, you can tell them that legalism is when you follow man-made traditions That's right. and commandments. That's true. But if you follow God's commandments, that is not legal. How can, yeah, how can that be wrong? How can it be wrong to obey God? And they, there's nothing... They More passionately, you know? Even for the wrong reason. I mean, that's why I tell my kids, hey, look, if you can't obey me because you love me, love me, obey me simply because I'm your dad. I'm content with that. First <laughs> <laughs> Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6.10. I'm sorry we're focusing on all the bad stuff. We're going to get to the good stuff here in a second. It's all the misplaced love. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root. It's not money is not the root. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's the outcome of that? To be pierced through with many sorrows. Uh, go to First John chapter two fifteen. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not mistake this for loving material things is not necessarily what it's saying. Material such as, by the way, uh, I love it. I love to work the earth. I'm a farmer. I love my job, whatever job you're in. Those are not the things of the world. It's the idea that the things of the world, as they contradict and as they oppose God. What did you say is the world system? It is the world system. is a much better description of that. Those things that are opposed to God. Um, you should love people. You should love working. You should love eating. You should. Absolutely. Those are blessings from God. You should do it. It's, with, it's in their misplaced. That is the problem. Um, you should, by the way, if you love eating, you should also love praying. They, they should go together. Every time you eat, you should think pray. <laughs> then you'll be okay. Uh, go to, uh, actually, just love In each of these, in all these instances, love is seen as expressed tangibly with an outcome. It's always something that someone does. And there's an outcome. Look at it. Every one of those that I just read, they do something and it has a bad outcome, right? Think about that. Each one of those things, even though they may be emotional, they're always involved action. And it always has a bad outcome. Uh, this idea of cause of, uh, the law of cause and effect. Love is the cause, the outcome is the effect. So if you love something, no matter what it is, good or bad, if it's a good love or a bad love, it will have an outcome. 
it will have an outcome. It is impossible to say, I love football, excuse me for all you football lovers, I love football without it having an outcome. What will the outcome be? A wonderful Sunday. I agree. What other outcome? A whole lot of time that you may not want to spend. You may not have to spend. Maybe you do. Do you understand? It has an outcome. It has an outcome. If you love to farm, it will have an outcome. Right? It's like having a boat. You just pour pouring money into it. <laughs> you love to farm, you'll never, you'll never be rich. <laughs> you'll always have bad seasons. But you'll always have food, I hope. But we're talking about the alternative that you're putting wherever that is. That's right. Well, maybe. Possibly. Yeah, that's right. Possibly. Well, James, James says in uh, four four, adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with Elohim? Right. Whoever therefore intends to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of Elohim. That's right. It's, 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 it's the it's the it's it's one or the other. You're right. But in 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 our expression, first of all, did Abraham love his son? Yes. How much did he love him? Not to place him above God. That's the correct understanding. You understand? Is just because you love something doesn't necessarily make it wrong. It's how it ranks in your list of things you love. Right? In fact, I would say that if you truly, if you truly love someone, you will in fact always place that love subservient to your love for God. That's the true expression of husbands and wives. Wonderful. Parents and children. Same expression. I mean, we see this. The true love is expressed when it is correctly placed as opposed to uh, incorrectly or misplaced love. Let's look at, the, let's look at some better things. Go to, go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Actually, I'm going to go from verse 5 and to verse 6. This is from the, the ten words. You shall not bow down. God is speaking and speaking about them worshiping idols. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Shamar, that's guarding. We're going to look at this word later. To keep my commandments. Who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, is that a cause and effect? Sounds a lot like it. It does. Sound, I admit it sounds a lot like it. But notice, notice he says, but showing mercy to thousands Where's that relationship that? I mean, it's almost like you can escape the third and fourth generation, which I'm not necessarily saying, but mm-hmm. the point here is, it's almost as, listen, if you hate me, to the third and fourth generation, there's going to be, there's going to be a consequence. But to, those, but to those who love me and keep my commandments, to the thousands, it's almost like, you know, there'll be blessings that aren't earned. Aren't earned. Think about it. Think about your response today affecting generations that follow you multiple generations that follow you multiplied into the thousands that they didn't earn this is one of the reasons why Judaism looks to the fathers the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac and Jacob with such regard and revere not because they believe they're perfect even though sometimes it sounds like they do 
but because they recognize that the promises made to them have affected us in ways we could never earn or deserve. And so they look at their responses. Look, Abraham, it says, God says of Abraham, He will teach his children to obey me. I will bless him because of that. And when they look at that and they go, look at Abraham, what great regard he had for God. What great regard God had for him. And we get it. Just because we're descendants. Right? Well, in, in the sense of faith. We get it just because he's the father of our faith. We get it. We didn't earn it. That's what we pray in their merit. That's right. And that's exactly right. The, the idea of claiming the merit of these fathers is not saying somehow they earned it and so we earn it too. The idea is the saying, we don't earn it. We did not deserve God's mercy. But because God found favor on them and promised them unequivocally, we get the blessings. That's remarkable. So we understand that their love and God's love for them benefits us in ways that we cannot earn. So, I mean, if you, if you are the recipient of mercy, if anybody that's been through hard things knows this to be true, your life, when your life is changed by difficult circumstances, you do look at things differently. You have a more, you have a, you know, they said that after, after uh, 9-11, there was a remarkable uptick in just good deeds, random deeds that people would do. People were when people were affected in some some traumatic way, they they felt more inclined to be kind. Uh, I wish it'd last, but <laughs> but anybody that's been through hardship, you know this is true. It it does affect the way you look at life. When you are the recipient of mercy, you're much more likely to be merciful. Aren't you? I hope so. Go to Deuteronomy six. Verse 4. This is the highest love. The highest love. This is the first paragraph of the Shema, as we've already looked at. Funny how we keep coming back to that. Three weeks in a row, we can't escape the Shema. I'm sorry, I planned it that way. <laughs> but it's no accident, because that's exactly the way Yeshua approached this as well. Deuteronomy 6 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord. Hashem, the four, the four letters of his holy name. Our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. That's, that's the highest commandment. It's the greatest commandment. It's the commandment that rises above all commandments. So has that one been abolished too? In favor of grace? Could that one be abolished? If that one can't be abolished, then none of them can be abolished. Because all of them point to this. The love of the Lord your God. And with all your heart, with all your soul, it's not the fear, not the fear of, oh no, what if I, what if I try too hard? Will I be earning my salvation? What if, I, what if I try too hard to obey Him? Will I be working for my salvation? Uh, those are just unfounded fears. Excuse me. Didn't Paul say it worked out? Well, he did. He did. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is the highest. This is the highest love. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter eleven, uh, Deuteronomy chapter eleven, it's 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 repeated. The measurement of God's love is found in obedience for all His commandments. I'm gonna have to move through this. Versus the one we only think makes sense. You know, some of them don't seem to make sense. Uh, Ashes of red heifer doesn't seem to make sense to me. Yeah. Who needs it? Some might say. 
so glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. And the only reason you have to deal with that anymore is because there is an holy temple. So, and we don't have a red heifer. Yes. God willing, one day we will. Um, the connection between obedience and love makes it easy to see why Yeshua said that to love God is the greatest commandment because loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength will result in obedience to His commandments. Go to John fourteen fifteen. I, I, I just, you know, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are some of my favorite chapters in all the scripture. This, this connection of love that Yeshua gives us and his teaching on love in these chapters is, uh, is just remarkable because it gives, us, it gives us hope that though we are unsuccessful in expressing our love oftentimes that he will not forsake us and that as we keep on getting up from where we fall he will keep on enabling us to love him more John chapter 14 verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments if you love me keep my commandments verses 21 through 24 John 15 actually it's John 14 verse 21 alright he has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him by the way if you don't love God you are not redeemed that's what he just said Uh, verse 24 he who does not love me and does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the father who sent me go to um yeah, John 14, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I'm not going to get through all these, but we're going to do our best. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this, I want you to hear this. <laughs> now, by this, we know that we love, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Of course, the first thing that many of us say is which one to which the answer is why did you get a right to split them up <laughs> who gave you the right to say which ones that actually is the response that the so called rich, rich young ruler asks Yeshua when he says he says how will I have how will I know I have eternal life and he says keep the commandments and he responds which ones and the end of the story is he walks away and Yeshua is shaking his head sadly because he had an opportunity and he asked which ones? keep my commandments by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments you want to say hey listen do you have a relationship with Yeshua? do you have a relationship with the Messiah? people go yeah yeah I do really? how do you know? well I walked down the aisle I was at camp I had an experience which are not by the way not bad don't misunderstand me when the answer should be because he speaks and I obey I'm not always very good at it but when he speaks I, I always listen that's, that's I know him that's how I know I know him 1 John chapter 5 verse 2, verse 2 
First John five two. Ah, we go along. It's okay. Thank you very much. Five verse. Yeah, go away. <laughs> Chapter five verse two. By this we know that we love the children of God. Hey, do you love other? Do you love one another? This is the mark of the redeemed. Is we love one another. How do we know that we love one another? Because everybody can say, "Well, I love my brother." How do I know that? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. But this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome it's just too hard no it's not he has not given us a word it's not in heaven it's not it's, it's right down here on earth that you may do them that's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, let's, let's move on first of all De- uh, Matthew chapter 22 Yeshua says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 5 and he says and the second is like unto it love your neighbor as yourself which is a quote of course from Leviticus chapter uh, 18 verse 19 um, love your neighbor and your brother John 13 34 go back there real quick I want to talk this, about this and then we're going to finish up John 13 verse 34 John 13.34 says a new commandment this is Yeshua speaking this is the same this is the same setting this is the Passover Seder a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love if you have love one for another this idea that Yeshua has given us this is a new commandment he says this is a new commandment what is this new commandment it is not a new commandment by the way we are told to love one another we are told to love one another in the Torah it says to love one another so why is this a new commandment it's a new commandment because the, the quality of love what is the quality of love here what quality of love did he just say love one another how does he say love the way that I love you Right? So it's a quality. So what makes it new is not because it's brand new and replaces all others. It's because I'm going to tell you the definition of what it meant when it said love one another. The way I love you. Is that, is that a bad translation? No, it's a very good translation. It is a new commandment. Absolutely. But it's a, quali- it's a qualitative improvement over Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19.18. It's the same commandment with an emphasis on how much. The Torah gives you the, the minimum standard of definition of love by the way you don't know how to love one another if you don't know what the commandments say about one another it just doesn't do you put a fence to keep people from falling off the edge of your roof if you had one that's the definition of love for your neighbor yeah it is it's not a legal argument it's a definition of love you keep your neighbor from getting hurt at your house right those are, those are definitions. The minimum standard of love. What Yeshua is saying is that's the standard of love. That is the standard of love. Now I want you to understand when I said love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, that standard, I want you to apply it now also to your neighbor. I want you to apply it. So how, how much does God love us? That's how much we're supposed to love one another. John 15, 8 talks about this trickle-down effect. If, we, if love passes on down and we abide in it, He loved us so we're supposed to pass that love on. Right? How successful was his love for us? So that same effect, obviously, we aren't him. But that same effect being passed on. Sharing your faith is a perfect example of that. Sharing the same mercy that you've received 
obviously it's not the same but as best you can it's going to have an effect sharing that same grace how rich is his love for us this is the way that we need to be loving one another and I'm going to have to stop there um, <laughs> sorry five. Ephesians 5 okay we'll go there Ephesians 5 verse 25 on with Adam if y'all just showed up earlier Ephesians 5.25 Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loved his congregation and gave himself for her that by the way is the heart the highest mark the highest standard of love is husbands for wives not by the way this is your homework in addition to your other homework find where wives are commanded to love their husbands and <laughs> oh you see you guys are just too good let's close in prayer Father we, I do thank you for I thank you for your love I thank you for commandments because your commandments reveal your love for us you've given us clear instructions instructions in righteousness for our good there are times we look at them and they are difficult but we know that you never intended them to be difficult bless us as we seek you with all our hearts may the commandments be simply a way of living out our love for you not an end or a life unto themselves Father we do love you and we ask that you allow us to express our love for you in ever increasing in tangible ways Teach us to do what you've commanded us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Sorry we didn't get... But that's never...